Hello and welcome to Speak Out on Strangles, the Strangles Awareness Week podcast, which aims to give horse owners a real insight into preventing and managing the disease. Strangles is the world's most commonly diagnosed infectious disease in horses. Although cases can go from mild to malicious, it is extremely contagious and can have devastating consequences for people passionate about enjoying life with their horse. Strangles Awareness Week is supported across the equestrian industry in the UK and across the world, and it calls for more openness and support for people and premises affected by the disease. With these podcasts, we aim to inspire open conversations about strangles and what helps in taking us closer to eradicating the disease. I'm your host, Giddy Rydant. I'm the Campaigns Officer for Red Wings Horse Sanctuary and Coordinator of Strangles Awareness Week. And today we will be talking to two vets, Professor Scott Peary and Amy Smith, on their role helping their clients to prevent and manage strangles. Please don't forget to subscribe, whether you are listening on YouTube or on your podcast player, to get the heads up about future episodes and more importantly, share them with your yard, coach or vet. Let's spread the word and not the disease. Welcome everyone. On this episode of Strangles Awareness Week, we will be talking with Professor Scott Peary, Chair of the Equine Clinical Sciences at the Royal School of Veterinary Studies of Edinburgh and the Roslyn Institute. Welcome, Professor. Um, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Yeah, sure. So uh, my name is Scott Perry. Um, as uh, Gilly said, I um, work at the, the Dick Vet in Edinburgh. I've been there for, gosh, about over 30 years now. And I work in the internal medicine department in the equine hospital so my role there is one third teaching really one third research one third admin uh, and like i say my clinical uh, duties are are in relation to equine medicine with a particular interest in uh, equine uh, respiratory disease so what was it about strangles that was so interesting to you compared to other potential equine diseases that you study and treat probably the the most interesting thing about strangles and equally so the most frustrating thing about strangles really comes down to the the causal bacteria and its its ability to ensure its survival and its transmission from host to host so it has a number of properties that allow it to to do that really from adherence onto the the respiratory epithelium its ability to invade that epithelium its ability to colonize the lymph nodes, evade, which is a big one, evade the host immune response, which the horse is clearly going to rely on to try and clear that bacteria uh, in in the acute phase of the disease. And then, as I'm sure many of us are aware, it's its ability then to, in many cases, ensure some form of carrier status, not in all cases, but in a proportion of cases by causing abscesses that that then rupture internally and, and create this carrier state, which ultimately leads to the, the bacteria ensuring its likelihood of transmission onto another host. So I think it's the ability of the bacteria to do that that makes this an interesting disease, but it's it's also that ability that makes it a, you know, a difficult disease to, to deal with, um, both as a, a veterinarian and as, and as an owner or, or, or yard owner. Could you explain a bit more of how the process of how you get cases referred at the Royal Dick? It's probably not the norm because 
working in a, a hospital environment. So we have an ambulatory sort of primary care practice at the university as well. And I work exclusively within the hospital and we would take secondary and tertiary referrals. And, you know, the hospital, like any facility really that hosts a, a gathering of horses, you know, does represent a potential meeting point and potential source of, of spread of disease. So um, we do have very strict biosecurity measures in place that, that you know, would minimise the likelihood of introduction of, of cases, you know, in other words, cases that are not um, showing typical signs of strangles, but maybe carriers. Uh, and, and we adhere to those um, very, very strictly. And therefore, actually actively admitting cases would really be restricted to horses that really their clinical need perhaps can't be met by you know the, the the situation in primary care practice you know so i'm talking about things like transendoscopic removal of chondroids from the guttural pouch you know if if the referring practice didn't have an endoscope or they didn't have the the basket forceps to to or the snare to remove those chondroids or surgical removal of chondroids um from, from the guttural pouch so these would be the kind of more complicated cases that would we would see from from a referral point of view and and all of those cases clearly would go into our isolation facility and and all procedures and interventions would take place at that facility you know even even anesthetics to uh, to keep them totally separate from the hospital so so yeah we we tend to see the complications associated with the disease rather than dealing with acute clinical cases themselves although the ambulatory practice you know clearly like any practice in the in the UK and worldwide has has to deal occasionally with cases on yards and, and containment of disease spread within yards, etc. Do you have um, a particular case that stands out in your mind? That's a good question. I, I guess uh, categories of cases maybe that, that stand out in my mind. Firstly, would be those cases that for want of a better term, haven't read the textbooks. So those cases that haven't followed that typical clinical course that um, the vast majority of you know acute strangles cases would follow. And it just increases your level of vigilance, really, to try and identify those cases from the outset. Obviously, like I said before, you know, in a hospital environment, that's that's vitally important to do that. So those would be cases that might present with difficulty swallowing, you know, where there might be other differentials that might be on, on, on your list. But I think when they present purely with that clinical sign, even though they don't have the typical kind of high rectal temperature, you know, there's no history of it in the yard, there's not been any recent movement, even just that single presenting sign, we would often be pretty vigilant and say, well, you know, let's rule it out before we uh, we go any further with this, with this diagnosis. Or before we introduce the horse into the hospital. So these, these are ones that are always keeping you on your toes, really. Because your typical strangles case that has that sort of pussy nasal discharge, high rectal temperature, particularly if it's coming from a situation where there's been a lot of movement of horses or a new introduction of a case onto the yard, and then they've got the lymph nodes that swell up, you know, that that that's a very typical presentation. And, and most people would be very aware of the fact that, that that diagnosis is very much on your radar. It's those more subtle presentations or slightly abnormal presentations or the absence of 
you know some some of the typical clinical signs that um, that can be problematic. So I'm not thinking about an individual case per se, but it's it's that group of cases that. You know, you're always kind of, like I say, you're always on your toes to make sure that you, you try and identify them as best you can. And the other ones, I guess, would be kind of along a similar line would be the, the, the atypical form of the disease, which effectively is, is kind of like a milder form. So, so those horses are less, the, the severity of clinical disease is, is a lot less in those horses. They might not develop, you know, uh, lymph node abscessation, so they might not follow that typical um, clinical course, but the bottom line is that they are still still a disease, albeit milder, that is caused by the same you know causal bacteria, and 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 therefore those horses still pose a risk to other horses. So they might present just with a little bit of a kind of um, serous or even a kind of milky kind of discharge down the nose. You know they might have a mild elevation in rectal temperature. They might not. And 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 uh, again, it's just having an increased awareness of the fact that not every case will read the textbook, and just having a a, a level of awareness that any horse that really presents with, certainly with a rectal temperature and a nasal discharge, um, even if it doesn't go on to, to develop lymph node swelling and you know rupture, um, still are, are potential um, potential strangles cases unless proven otherwise. Seems that strangles can take quite a few forms. Um, yeah. What would you say is the the most devastating thing about strangles as a disease? I think you could probably address that question on on a number of different levels. I mean, clearly, at the horse level, the devastation is associated with the severity of disease. But in saying that, you know that there are many other conditions and diseases and disorders of the horse that you know have a much greater severity than uh, than strangles that said you know there is a proportion of clinical cases that can be very severe and that the clinical consequences of the disease can even be fatal so I think that the first level is really at the horse level and it's it's the, the clinical impact on the horse and, and we shouldn't forget that that um, we have a duty to minimize the clinical severity of disease in those affected horses and to minimize the likelihood of transmission to other horses but also you can look at other levels as well so obviously the level of the owner where there the impact of, of strangles on an owner is well there's many facets to that really so one would be the emotional impact of having a horse that has strangles but the financial impact in trying to to uh, either treat or to uh, isolate that horse the impact with regard to movement restrictions for that horse, um, so not being able to compete. And then you have the impact on the yard, so the impact on the yard owner, but not just the yard owner, but other people that have horses on that yard that are not clinically affected, where those movement restrictions and isolation protocols are imposed on that yard um, to try and minimise disease spread, both within the yard and from the yard to other yards. So I think that's the main thing about strangles is when you put all those things together, when you look at the, the clinical impact, the financial impact, the hassle factor involved in you know, trying to implement biosecurity measures in the face of an outbreak on a yard, then you end up with a disease that clearly is, is best avoided, if at all possible. But also, there's not a lot can be done uh, with regard to, or what needs to be done really with regard to implementing those biosecurity measures within the yard once an outbreak has occurred that that's just a given you've just got to act upon that so I think really probably what needs to be prioritized is 
is our efforts to minimise the introduction of disease onto those yards. Okay, so that's clearly the starting point because everything else, all the other impacts, effectively derive from the introduction of the disease to the onto the horse and and onto the yard in in the first place. So I think that's probably where our efforts should be focused, and that those efforts really would rely on. You know, a variety of things like transparency is a big one. I think appropriate quarantining, appropriate testing, you know, regular monitoring, surveillance, and clearly optimal biosecurity. You know, that that's where we can make a difference. Hmm. You've mentioned um, how the disease impacts different people in different ways. So, why do you do you think that's why Strangles has the reputation that it has? Um, because it is so impactful on so many different levels. Yes, I believe so. I mean, it is a curse word, isn't it, in the equine industry, and, and understandably so. And and I guess one of the problems is nobody wants to utter those words, you know, or to that diagnosis. There's, there's there's a fear of strangles, and that fear, I think, is born out of it's more the collective impacts that I've just mentioned, you know, on the horse, on the owner, on other owners in the yard, on the yard the restrictions, etc. Um, so it's that, that collective impact, I think, that that makes it such an emotive disease rather than each of those taken, you know, in isolation. You know, they're all intertwined with each other. And I think collectively, that's why it is, is, is such a problem. And what's it like for vets? Like, what's the vet's first reaction when they hear the word strangles? Um, I think it's one of those situations where you're kind of looking at this in, in, in two different ways. So, so in one respect, you're focused on the treatment of, of the individual animal that's affected, which is, at the end of the day, you know, a large proportion of our job is, is, is dealing with individual animals and, and their clinical presentation. But also, you've got this other facet to the whole investigation, which includes minimizing disease spread so so you're effectively wearing two hats so one hat you know focusing on the individual clinical cases but secondly as importantly thinking about ways in which you you can you can minimize you know spread within the yard and that's very much dependent on having an awareness of the setup of the yard really that's once a case occurs I'm kind of making the assumption there that, you know, a case presents with the typical clinical signs of strangles. And, and, and like I say, those would be the two hats the vet's wearing. But then the other consideration is prophylaxis or prevention, you know, so acting in an advisory capacity to minimise the likelihood of introduction of disease onto a yard, so onto a yard that has healthy horses in it. So yeah, there's a number of hats that I think a vet would wear, one largely advisory and and a damage limitation and the other focused on the clinical cases. Would you have any advice for vets on how to talk to their clients about the prevention side of things? Because biosecurity is often seen as a bit of a scary word and Mm. a lot of people are unwilling to consider it, uh, unfortunately, until something actually happens on their yard and they they do get an outbreak or a case. Mm -hmm. So how could vets approach that kind of hot topic with their clients? Mm-hmm. The, the term biosecurity is it's a kind of scary word isn't it you know it's um but breaking that down to what that actually means and and a lot of the times it, it comes down to common sense and and it's it's like everything in life isn't it that that sometimes you don't take something seriously until it's it's a little bit too late 
educating on the potential consequences of not implementing strict biosecurity protocol on the yard, I think is key. And that's ultimately what's going to land home that message is, you know, how is that going to impact me as a horse owner or as a yard owner, both in my pocket and with regard to having a business that is open and there's not any imposed closures or, or movement restrictions for a particular period of time. I often feel that sometimes having owners and yard owners that have been through that, telling their story, how it impacted them, can be quite key. Because um, if, if you haven't been through it, then sometimes the devastating impact is not overly apparent, really, until it's kind of too late. And the other thing is to say, well, there are ways and means in which, A, you can reduce the likelihood of introduction onto the yard, but equally so, you know, in the unfortunate event that it was introduced to the yard, then are there measures in place that would at least in some way minimise the impact? And, and that comes down to, again, the facilities that are available, the, the, the monitoring of the horses. Um, education is key, but, but I, th- I think that education has to include a stark awareness of the, the potential impact if things were to go wrong. So that's key. I, th- I think the other thing is seeing the vet and the owner, whether that be the yard owner or the individual horse owner, and preferably both, working as a team with a common goal. The likelihood of compliance really uh, is is much, much greater if there's an awareness of so the disease itself, how the disease spreads, the, the measures that can be put in place to minimise introduction onto a yard, the, the testing measures that are available, the limitations of some of those testing measures is important to consider. Getting that information across because ultimately compliance is going to be much, much greater if there's if there's an, an awareness of the justification for some of those measures that you're advising. It's like everything, you know, if, if you understand why you should do something, then you're much more likely to do it. Yeah, that, that, that would be my answer. I think, I think education and hammering home the potential impact of not adhering to goodbye security. So it sounds like it's um, a really important partnership, the vet and horse owner partnership to managing strangles what do you think owners need to bear in mind when they're talking to their vet about strangles what do they need to remember because a lot of the time you know strangles is a quite distressing experience people can feel a little overwhelmed and um, they can forget to ask questions yeah i think um the the main thing is is if, if, if we're dealing with a horse that's already got strangles on the yard and putting to the side the, the clinical care of that individual horse. So just focusing on minimizing spread. I think the key thing is how is the disease spread? You know, what are the main routes of transmission from one horse to another? And, you know, sometimes that's not very obvious because we do kind of get a little bit maybe bogged down uh, with the, the kind of in-your-face aspects of the disease with the rupturing abscesses and what have you. But ultimately, you're looking at reducing spread what's of more much much more relevance to the owner is how are you going to minimize spread from one one horse to another um so almost seeing the two things as as different you know the clinical care of that individual horse is one aspect the other aspect is prevention or minimization of risk of transmission so in order to address that you need to know the roots of transmission so you need to know about fomites you need to know 
how if, if I wanted to transmit this from that horse A to horse B, how would I do that? And if you can answer that question, you say, well, that's exactly what you should not be doing. You know, so things like sharing buckets, sharing tack, personnel, dealing with you know, affected horses and non-affected horses, all of that information is, is key. But, you know, where I've seen most success is is going back to what I said about the the, the, the whole yard working as a working as a team and, and they should all really be syncing the same song sheet and the likelihood of that happening is much, much greater if um if there is awareness of routes of transmission, modes of transmission and everybody almost seeing themselves as a, as a effectively a link in the chain of effectiveness. And whether your horse is affected or isn't affected. So everybody kind of almost you know, pulling in the in the right direction and, and that's important. And and I think in order to facilitate that, then you know, having those yard meetings is important. There's not mixed messages going out there where people are standing up saying this is where we're at, this is the, the obstacles that, you know, have come our way and, and this is why they got here, this is how we're gonna try and overcome them. You see people are much more likely to adhere to that if seeing themselves as being a very, very important link in that chain of effectiveness, why that is the case. And the other important thing is having, I hate to use the term, but almost like a chain of command, you know, that, that you know, the, the effectiveness of implementing a policy really comes down to not just knowing your place within that team, but also having somebody that's calling the shots. And, and as long as those shots that are being called are evidence-based and there was rationale behind them, then I think it's important that that messaging is coming from a single source. And you've done a lot of work on education on strangles and infectious diseases in general. What positive change have you seen in horse owners when it comes to biosecurity? And what do we still need to improve on? I get the impression there is definitely an increased awareness of the importance of biosecurity. And I think that's massively increased in light of the current pandemic. An awareness that simple things can make a difference. Washing your hands... We've kind of maybe lost that a little bit with all the technological advances in aspects such as you know testing antibody testing and, and and pcrs and what have you these these all very very much have their their place in controlling disease introduction and informing decisions as to when yards can open etc they all very much have their place but not at the expense of doing the simple thing one's as important as the other so so i think there seems to be and, and again i go, go back to the current pandemic there seems to be this awareness that it's a combined effect of the simple things and the the more advanced technological things that that make a difference and and that's clearly shown with the pandemic when you combine your daily activities with regard to face masks and, and hand washing and social distancing and then you combine that with testing and vaccination and what have you. It's, it's a combined effect that is ultimately going to going to have an impact. So, but I, I do think that horse owners are increasingly aware of the the, the value of um, biosecurity. And it's almost like going back to the old kind of pony club manuals. You know that this is the things you do and these are the things you don't do. There's a reason behind it. And, and I think there was a stage where we kind of lost that a little bit. And you know, we're we're coming back to that. Those simple things checking your horse's temperature every day, cleaning stables down appropriately between horses. Inevitably, yards are places where horses are going to come on and go off on a regular basis, depending on the individual yard. But 
that's a given. You got to accept that. You know, that's why they're there in the first place. But under those circumstances, you know, are there measures that can be put in place to try and minimise that? So things like quarantining, testing before introduction of horses onto yards. You know, I think there is there is an increased awareness there, but it's an ongoing process. And, and again, it comes down to basic understanding of how the disease spreads from one horse to another. Hmm. Um, what can be done more? Um, I think, as always, increased transparency, I think, is key. Again, going back to the current pandemic, that you know people that know that they're testing positive, that there's uh, an expectation that those individuals will act responsibly and they'll self-isolate. And looking at a parallel in horses, then if you know that your horse is positive or if you know that your horse is very high risk of being positive, then acting responsibly and, and seeing your role uh, not only focused on your own individual animal but on on the other animals that it's it's mixing with so uh, i think one of the issues with strangles in the past and possibly still now has been you know we said it was a curse word earlier on and and and, and i think that still a, applies and and you know there there might be a temptation for some people to try and sweep it under the carpet but you can't no we, we talked right at the beginning about the how clever this bug is so so this isn't something that can be swept under the carpet so having an awareness and acting upon that awareness or acting upon that suspicion is key just being open and transparent you know it's it's nobody's fault Mm -hmm. that their horse has it the the focus should be on trying to clear things up as quickly as possible yeah i mean totally agree it's interesting you mentioned transparency because of all the people vets are probably the ones who will get the truth i know they they, they're called, they'll see the case. Um, so ha- that's quite an interesting thing. Have you ever had any experiences or seen this stigma around strangles in action? Have I seen it? Yeah, probably have. I probably have. But uh, I think I've been fortunate in the, 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 the majority of cases that I've advised upon. Maybe it's because we try and promote it from the outset. You know, the, the, they've usually been quite quite open about it but but by nature of lack of transparency <laughs> you wouldn't know you know so uh, it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy and I think yeah the, the the whole issue of confidentiality you know the best person to tell other people is the person that owns the case or the person that owns the yard it's uh, it's not the vet's place to, to spread that news you know and and a lot of that can be avoided I think if there is this ethos of transparency from the outset that's easier said than done, and yeah, I could I could almost understand that. Vet, well, like you say, they're ingrained within the the whole process of diagnosis, and you know, so they're going to get the truth. They they need the truth in order to you know implement the right measures, both for the individual case and for minimising disease spread. I can I can understand how perhaps farriers are not going to be as party to the truth mm. as, as as vets are, you know, and and that's. You know that's that's wrong because, you know, they 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 would they should be seen as as potential fomites and and you know we all should anybody that walks on and off that yard any vehicle that walks that drives on and off that yard should be seen as a potential fomite, and and again it's having this awareness that it's it's for the it's for the greater good you know that that this isn't just for the individual cases on the yard this is for the yard down the road and the one down the road from that you know, um so it's kind of looking at the collective. That, that that I think is important, you know, and and again it comes back to the current pandemic, you know, that that you know that the the measures that we're all 
abiding to or the regulations that we're all abiding to is protective of us and our family hopefully um but but also you know it's it's seeing the advantage of that within the wider community you know even globally you know with travel restrictions and what have you you know it's, it's yeah. having that that slightly wider horizon um you know in your sights rather than just thinking it's my horse or it's my yard you know it's it's looking wider than that so so yeah again it comes down to education doesn't it it, it really does yeah definitely seems to always be the hmm. when we boil it back down yeah. it always goes back to education um so on that subject why do you support strangles awareness week and what do you think horse owners yards and vets could do to get involved I think the good thing about it is is that's what it says in the tin you know it, it, it increases awareness and I think that's vital you know that uh, because we, we tend to become aware of things when we're kind of in the eye of the storm but when we're not dealing with a strangles outbreak at this particular moment which I sincerely hope is the case with the majority of the listeners then why would you think about it well I think it's 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 having that awareness that you know it may well be that the reason you're not dealing with it is because you're doing things right and the fact that you're strangles free at the moment is maybe a reflection of the the measures that you've put in place or it might be good luck you know it might just be good luck it's maybe just it's an accident waiting to happen and and so i think the good thing about any awareness raising campaign is it just gets people to think to say okay well we're not dealing with it just now but you know what we could do this differently we could do that differently i think the other good thing about it is is Again, education, signposting people to resources that are, are available. That And social media is a, is a very powerful tool if used in the right way. So, yeah, just getting people to think, you know, just to say, well, okay, where are we at with regard to minimising the likelihood of disease introduction to the yard? And and no more an emotive time than to be thinking about that than, than in the midst of the, the current pandemic. I think uh, everybody, all the stakeholders in, in this initiative, I think should be congratulated. I think it's... It's a fantastic initiative and yeah, I wish everybody luck with it and I hope it's received very well. I'm quite sure it will be and it's proud to be part of it. Well, thank you very much for coming in today and sharing these experiences. Thank and you. thank you to everyone who listened in today and I hope we've managed to answer any queries or questions that you may have had. to Amy Smith from Northumbria Veterinary Group. Amy is an equine vet and she'll be talking a little bit about her experiences with strangles. Welcome to the Strangles Awareness Week podcast, Amy. Hello, thank you for having me. Yes, I'm an equine vet based in Northumberland at the moment. I've just been finished dealing with a strangles outbreak. We had 100 horses involved over two yards and we've just had our last results two days ago so that we're now clear. So yeah, that's my that's my background with strangles at the moment. What do you think when you first hear the word strangles? Strangles is a word that still has a lot of stigma around it. It still makes my heart sink slightly, to be perfectly honest. I think I want to work out if, if, if it is strangles. The first thing I want to do is do the test, work out if that is what we're dealing with. And then I want to work out how many other horses are affected and the extent of the situation. I think, yeah, there's, there's definitely is still a stigma around the word strangles and it definitely 
it makes owners very nervous but I think we can um, work together and reduce that stigma and make it something that's more manageable. What do you think is the devastating thing about strangles? I, I think this is twofold. I think there's the clinical impact on the, the horses. It can be a very severe disease. In lots of cases it isn't. lots of cases you have mild symptoms but we did unfortunately lose a horse during our outbreak. So obviously the clinical side of it is very worrying for the owners. The other side of it is the the economical impact. One of my yards was a riding school. We had to shut the riding school for three months. We've also had to shut down the competition centre. We had to stop horses being able to go out to compete. We had to stop horses being ridden and hacked. So I think there's big impact for putting the brakes on something for three months as well. And I think... It is a disease with a big impact. It's a disease that causes a lot of hassle and a lot of stress. That's something that isn't to be underestimated. It's never dealt with quickly. As a vet, what makes your work easier when you're dealing with a horse that has strangles? I think as a vet, it's easier when there's a lot of honesty and openness with the client, when you can have an honest conversation about the horse, where it's been, what clinical signs it's shown, how long it's been showing symptoms for. It's always easier when you can have that kind of trusting relationship with a client and where you can discuss how we're going to prevent that horse from becoming a carrier how we're going to make sure that horse is not a carrier I think as well if the client is open to talking to the rest of the yard to the other people that horse has been in contact with that makes it a lot easier but I do understand that it is a stressful disease I do understand that clients will find it very upsetting they will find it very difficult but I think if you understand that your vet's trying to help you. You know, we want to get rid of the disease as quickly as possible and we want to make sure that your horse is healthy. And I think if you understand that and you can work with us, I think that's really important. How do you manage balancing best practice with the client's needs or demands? This is something that is very important when dealing with a strangles outbreak. It can often take a lot longer than you think. So I asked for all my horses in the red area that had become infected to be put onto box rest straight away. And in most cases, this is possible, but in some cases it just isn't. And we had a young horse who's fully fit, show jumper, who was just completely unmanageable on box rest to go from being worked for an hour twice a day and being turned out to just standing in the stable when the horse had very mild symptoms. It's just impossible for the owner and the horse. So we had to come up with a compromise so we had to find a paddock which the owner could walk the horse to without coming into contact with any other horses they could stay in the paddock for two hours supervised and not come into contact with anybody and then they could walk back and we made sure we disinfected everything on the way there and on the way back made sure that no no one else was moving their horses at the same time made sure the horse was being led in a bridle so it couldn't get away and that was the only way that we could safely manage that horse and it wasn't In an ideal world where everything's perfect, we wouldn't have had to do that. We would have kept the horse in the box, but it's just not possible. And I think you have to be aware of, uh, you have to be a little bit flexible in these situations. You can't just sit there and preach. It's just not, it's not going to happen. And it would have ended up in a much worse situation where the strangles would have been a very minor problem compared to the horse squashing the owner or jumping the door or something like that. So I think you do have to be aware of, what clients need and what they want and also what the horses need but the client on on the same kind of turn the client has to also work with us and realize that 
we don't want their horse to have strangles. We didn't give their horse strangles, but in some way we have to work together to make sure that that horse doesn't spread it to the rest of the yard. And that is important. How can vets promote openness and support in the equine community when it comes to infectious diseases? So as a practice, we, when dealing with any outbreak, whether it's strangles, flu, anything, we recommend that yard owners and other people are very open with the, the rest of the community, with other vets, about what they're dealing with, how many cases they have and how, how they're dealing with it. So we, we recommend that they put up something on Facebook or their website to say, this is what we have, this is how many horses are affected and this is what we're doing about it. As a practice, we also ask permission to ring the other vets in the area and tell them that that's what we are dealing with. And also we recommend that we tell farriers, physiotherapists, instructors, anyone who might go to the yard regularly so that they are aware and that they know what they're dealing with as well. We often find that when people are open, they get a really good response. Normally there's there's a lot of support from the community. Normally people have dealt with strangles before. I think anyone who's had horses for a long time will have dealt with it at some point. So people can be very helpful offer their advice and I think in general now I think people appreciate the the honesty rather than have a problem with how they're dealing with it or you know think that they should be doing something different I think it's often better to just from the outset be open rather than try and hide it I think that's definitely the way forward and I think as long as people can see that you're being proactive and people can see that you're dealing with the problem and that you've got the vets involved I don't think it's any detriment to the yard or to the um, the people dealing with it so that's what we would recommend as a practice for anyone dealing with something like this. Do you have any tips for vets when working with owners who are going through what can be quite a distressing time? Strangles is a stressful disease and um, it can be a bit hard for owners to take everything on board. I have a good relationship with the yard that I was dealing with and I made myself very available. I think my yard really appreciated that they could phone me or text me at any time and we could talk about what was going on, about new cases that had developed. I made sure that I had time most days to go to that yard if I needed to at the end of the day to look at new cases, to look at existing cases, to talk about biosecurity. We also arranged a client meeting for my yard right at the start to talk about what Strangles was. We used the Red Wings PowerPoint that we found on their website. So we talked to all the clients at the yard on Zoom about how we were going to deal with it, what to look out for in their horses, why it was so important and how we were going to clean it up. We also made a document that we passed around to everyone on the yard um, with all the information written down about who was dealing with the outbreak, how we were going to deal with it and how we were going to clear it up at the end and showed them the, the timeline of what was going to happen. And I think people really appreciated having something written down. I also made sure that everyone in the yard, rightly or wrongly, had my number so that they could talk to me and it just stopped that spread of misinformation and of rumours, which is so prevalent when dealing with anything like this. So I made sure that if they had a question, they could talk to me within 24 hours and I would deal with it. And we also made sure that there were two vets dealing with outbreak. We made sure that we were both saying the same thing. So we went off of the consensus statement and we stuck to that absolutely rigidly the whole way through so that there was no confusing, conflicting information. And I think that helped. We were very firm with what we were saying and we said the same thing every single time, which just prevented that confusion. I think just 
keeping everyone in the loop. We had a WhatsApp group with everyone in the yard in it, making sure that everyone knew what was happening, which horses were in the red group, which horses became carriers, how we were dealing with that. That helped. But obviously it's a very difficult situation and we did have a lot of stress. It wasn't easy. <laughs> it was not easy. People got upset, you know, horses got sick, but we're through it now and I think we're better for it for the fact that we all talk to each other the whole way through. We're very honest with each other and open with each other the whole way through. Lovely, thank you very much. Why do you support Strangles Awareness Week and why do you think people should get involved? I think there's a lot of misinformation about strangles. There's still a big stigma when you say the word strangles. We all need to be more aware of what it is, what to look for, how to detect it among a pop- amongst a population and how to prevent it from spreading. I think Strangles Awareness Week is so important to make sure that everyone knows what they're looking for, how to deal with it, and so that we kind of get rid of the stigma and we realise that it's, it's just a disease. You know, it's something that lots of horses will get. But if people are more aware of it and more aware of how to deal with it, more aware of how to look for these carriers when moving horses, then hopefully we can start to eradicate it amongst the population and really reduce the prevalence of the disease as much as we can. What is the first thing that horse owners have to do if they think that there is strangles on their yard? Obviously, it goes without saying that you should isolate the horse, not let the horse be in nose-to-nose contact with anyone else and make sure that you are you know, not sharing tools, equipment, water buckets and while you're waiting for the vet to come. And that would be a good start. I think that would make every outbreak a lot simpler if people just spoke to the vet straight away and got, got them on board and told them what was happening. I think make an appointment, say that you're concerned that there are strangles, make sure that they're aware that that is the problem then you should go onto the Red Wings website and have a look at all the information there. There's lots of information about biosecurity, about the disease itself, that can be really helpful. And then I think speak to your vet, work with your vet and get the testing done, work out if that is what you're dealing with and then work with your vet on how to clear it up as quickly as possible. Uh, Well, thank you very much for having been with us today, Amy. It's been really great to hear about your experiences and getting to hear about your advice on strangles. Oh, no problem. Thank you for having me. Uh, It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Follow the Strangles Awareness Week Facebook page for more information about Strangles and the campaign. Or if you have any further questions, leave a comment or get in touch with us by emailing campaigns at redwings.co.uk. We will see you tomorrow for a next episode available on YouTube or on your podcast player. Let's spread the word and not the disease.